Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just give you a little bit of overview of what we want to accomplish today. I want to just talk about a framework first, some basic principles of framework, why that's important. And then I'm going to give you specific principles in the Bible of how to make decisions. So I wanted to try to make it a little bit more practical. And then at the end, we're going to actually practice some of these things. And then you'll have an opportunity to follow up with the whole shinemonies that we've been talking about uh, just throughout this fast. And this might be one way to just to express what God is doing in your life, whether it's a decision or some other praise that God is doing. So let me just go ahead and talk about seven perspectives. This is the framework that you need in order to be able to make good decision or God-honoring decision. And so these frameworks, the framework that I'm going to give you, it just helps you to see the bigger picture, like what's involved, what's important, what we have to remember. It's not anything about the little details, but it's just more of the bigger picture. So the first one is this. God is our GPS. Some of you have heard that in our church. We talk about how God is good, that he is present. His, his presence is with us and that he is sovereign and always accomplishes his will. And so even sometimes when we make bad decisions, God's will will always triumph over that, even in our failures or mistakes. So we always have to believe that God is good, that he is present in our lives, and that he's sovereign, that he's powerful to work, and he's in control of all things. The second framework that we need is that our ability to make decisions is a gift from God, which displays his love for us. What that means is that he gives us the freedom to make choices because if he didn't, then he would not be a loving God. So once again, we have to understand it's a gift that God is giving to us to be able to make decisions. And so when we have that kind of framework, it changes maybe even our perspective and how we look at choices. The third thing is this, your decisions will always be based on your values and what you believe is true. This is also very important. You have to understand that no decision is just made flippantly, especially when it's serious things that affect your future. A lot of your decisions, that's why I have said this to many people, and I'll keep on saying it again. I don't even have to know you very well. Just by your decisions, I know what's going on in terms internally, your values, what are priorities for you, what are things that you look to, what are things that you think are good, and those things that you are bad. So once again, it is important to understand that we make our decisions based on our values and what we believe it is true. The fourth perspective that we need to have is this, that your decisions can determine the direction of your destiny. The decisions that you make can determine the direction of your destiny. And simply put, sometimes whether you choose A or B will determine what experiences that you have what type of people that you will meet, what kind of um, good or bad that you go through, a lot of times it's through our decisions. So we got to understand, that's why there should be some weightiness in making some of these decisions. Please don't make them flippantly that hinder us from being able to understand that God wants us to be somewhere and that's what he's working in our lives. Number five is no decisions are fatal but an opportunity to learn and to grow. I hope you hear that very well, that no decisions are fatal. It's not the end at all. 
but it's an opportunity to be able to learn and to grow. If you have that kind of mindset, that kind of perspective, that you won't be afraid to make decisions, that you'll see that God is actually using it to help you to understand more of yourself, which kind of leads a little bit into number six. The number six perspective is this, that God is more concerned about who you become than making the right decision. I hope you get that. And especially those of us who are living in Asia here, you need to hear this over and over and over and over and over again. Because many of you grew up in an environment that is all about getting the right answer. God is more concerned about who you are becoming in this process of making a decision more than getting the right decision. Because he's shaping you, he's molding you, he's discipling you and helping you be sanctified to become more like Jesus Christ. And the seventh and last one is this. When you don't make a decision, it really is a decision. So a lot of times we only think, is it A or B? But there's really a C because there are some of us who don't make any decision and that hinders us from even experiencing anything. And so I want to just encourage us to make a decision because for some of us, there's a lot of reasons. I'll talk about that in some of the practicals. But some of you don't like to take responsibility. That's an issue. And so that's why you don't make any decision until it's forced upon you. And I don't think that's a very good perspective to have. As we try to gain these perspectives, we have to learn to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, and honest with other people. The more honest you are with yourself, genuinely understanding who you are, the better decisions you're going to be able to make. I think the problem with many of us is that we don't want to do the hard work of seeking God. Because it, it is hard work of seeking God, praying, listening, waiting, and then acting to then do something about it. That's why many of us, we rather just kind of let the situation come as it comes our way. That's the default mode, and that's not going to get you to where God might want you to be. Uh, I want to show you this picture. Uh, if you look at your camera there, you'll see this picture. And you're probably thinking, wow, well, why, why do we have this? Is this going to be our transformation center with uh, a kid's playground? Well, that will be great. But I haven't seen too many parks in Hong Kong. But when I look at this picture, when you look at this picture right now, like, I don't know what you feel, but to me, something about playgrounds really captivate me. When I was younger, I would always go out to the park. Uh, with my younger brother, uh, my sister, she was doing other stuff. But uh, me and my brother, we would always go to the park, play on these play playgrounds, we'll play sports. And as I got older, um, you know, I guess I couldn't fit through the slides anymore. I don't know what it is. But, you know, uh, but I started appreciating playgrounds because even as I got older, it was a great opportunity for me to just sit at the bench there and read or just to pray, to reflect. And I would always be mesmerized when I look at the kids on the playground because if you look at them, they're so free. They're so happy. They're so joyous. They're so adventurous. And as I was looking at this picture and I was reminded once again, this idea of how God wants us to be children just like these kids on this playground. Why is that important? Because I believe in the same way when we take seriously of trying to make decisions to honor God, 
what begins to happen is that we are now playing in God's playground. And so if we can make decisions that honor him, we will experience a sense of freedom, this joy, and just an adventure that God has for us. But the more you try to control and the more you're trying to make your own decisions on your own, then you're going to miss out on the great things that God has plan, um, planned for you. So I want you to remember these four things. I'm still trying to cover the framework so we understand. I'm going to go into details now soon, but I want you to first understand the bigger picture. What I want you to remember is play. Everyone say it out loud. I don't care if there's anyone around, just say play, P-L-A-Y. That is the process of making the decisions that God has. You still don't know how to make it in a wise way, which I'm going to go over, but at least you need to understand the process. So why, why is it play? Because now we're playing in God's playground, which is on this earth, and he's placed us here. And to have this joy and freedom and this, this kind of adventurous spirit, what we got to do is, first of all, pray. That's the first part of learning how to make God-honoring decisions. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then the L is um, uh, simply listen. And you, you, if you're asking God for something, you got to be able to listen. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can practice some of these things. We got to learn how to listen. The third thing is act. There has to be some kind of action. As you pray, as you listen, and God tells you something, you got to obey. There's got to be some action. And the last one is yield because you have to wait upon God because even after you make a decision, you might not see the results right away. You got to learn how to yield yourself to God. So once again, it's P-L-A-Y. If we want to play in God's playground of this earth and make it an adventure, trusting in him, enjoying life and knowing that he has a purpose for us, then we got to pray, we got to listen, we got to act, and we got to yield. So those are some big pieces and now I want to talk about a little bit more of the specifics into this. So let me just give us at least the, the one thing so that at least we understand in our hearts and what I'm trying to drive at. This is the point I'm trying to make is that our God-glorifying devotion fuels our God-honoring decision. So you got to understand what I'm trying to communicate here. When your heart's desire and your devotion to God is to glorify Him, then that is going to be the actual fuel or the energy that will help you to make decisions that will be God-honoring. So our God-glorifying devotion fuels our God-honoring decision. So let me just go ahead and talk about some of the specific things. And I'm going to put it in the framework of principles. Now, you can go ahead and raise your hand on the screen there if you see yourself. How many of you heard of someone in our church at least say something about a principle, a biblical principle, right? Right? We hear that so often. In fact, some of you are sick and tired of it. You're like, we have too many principles. Well, we have the Bible, so there's a lot, all right? Uh, one of the things that you have to understand is this principle. Why is it so important? Like understanding the principle or live by principle. So I decided to try to define it for us so we're all on the same page. Because I realized some of us use it in different contexts that might not be the right understanding of it. And a lot of people either get hurt, they don't understand, or they get confused. So let me just state it now. I'm going to use the Ox 
the Oxford, the Oxford Dictionary. I decided to choose the smartest dictionary that has the best definition. All right. The Oxford Dictionary writes this for the word principle. It is a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. Another part of that definition is this, a rule or belief governing one's personal behavior. Or C, a fundamental quality or attribute determining the nature of something. It's an essence. So therefore, when you look at this definition of a principle and you put it in the context of a biblical principle, what we are trying to define it is simply this, that it's God's truth in His Word, because His Word is truth. It serves as the foundation for our life, which dictates how we think and how we act. That is a biblical principle. It is God's truth in his word. So it's, we got to get it from the Bible. You can't get some kind of principle from the world. It's got to be from scripture because it's got to be based on truth. And it becomes a foundation for your life, for my life, which then dictates how you think and how you act. So therefore, I want to kind of help us to understand this in a practical way. I'm still building up the framework. Some of you are like, my goodness, get to the practicals. But just hold on, because you got to understand this before we get to anything else. It's interesting because James uh, Rockford, uh, he mentions that there are four types of decisions in life. I'm going to show you this picture. If you look at this picture right now, uh, he talks about there's important. It's kind of like a grid. There's important and unimportant. And then there's clear, you know, clear being like it's very obvious. It's right there. Uh, it's either a yes or no. And then there are unclear aspects of decisions. So the first one is clear decisions. So pretty much these are black and white. God says, do not murder. You're like, should I murder him or not? No, that there is no uncertainty about this. And it's very important. So there are a lot of decisions that are so obvious. If you blatantly disobey, then you are willfully rebelling and sinning against God. Right? So right there, clear and very important. Those are clear decisions. The second one that he mentions is a commonplace decision. A commonplace decision is kind of like insignificant decisions that the Bible doesn't even address. Like, what should I eat? Should I eat dim sum or hot pot? I don't, Lord, let me, let me bring it before the Lord. Do I want to go to the bathroom afterwards or do I want to just go ahead and play sports, right? Like, you don't need to pray about those kind of things. It's pretty much a commonplace decision and you can just make a choice right there. So it's unimportant and even though it's not really clear, you could probably make that decision. The next one is the conscious decision. Now, this one is kind of interesting and important because it talks about a moral issue of the conscience. So that means that if it bothers you, if there's tension in your heart, if something tells you maybe this isn't a good thing to do, then that means it's very clear, but maybe it might be some things that might not be so bluntly like do not do this or do this. But that's something that you have to be able to, and I'll talk about that in some of the practicals. And the last one is the complex decision, which I believe many of us are listening today because this is what we want to hear. Complex decisions are the important decisions that are not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. 
such as whom shall I marry? Wouldn't that be awesome? You're like, who should I marry, Lord? And you flip around and go, John, 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 I'm going to marry John. Or I'm going to marry Matthew or Mark and uh, Philemon. I don't know if there's anyone named Philemon, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? But there are a lot of things that the Bible is not really totally clear on, like black or white. So it seems almost very unclear. But the thing is that they're very important because it's going to change the course of your life. Where should I work? Where should I stay? And where should I live? What city? And where should I go? Those kind of questions do determine a lot about what's going to happen to you in life. So that's where we want to focus in on the complex decision that some of you are in the midst of doing. So with all that being said, uh, true to being Pastor Seth, I'm going to give you an acronym. And I'm going to breeze by these principles really quick. And I I wish, I think each principle, we could take a whole sermon on, honestly. There's so much in there. But I realize I'm just going to give you a canvas or a sketch, just a very simple sketch. And then some of you hopefully will talk to your leaders, maybe your LCG or some older mentors. You're more than welcome to make appointments with me or Pastor Bo, and we'll love to talk with you maybe more specifically. So this is not going to solve all your problems, but it's going to at least get you thinking. So I'm going to use the acronym DECISION to talk about eight principles to keep in mind. Because principles, once again, it's the foundation for how we live our lives so that we can then make good decisions. The first, the first principle is the D, which stands for the DESIRE principle. you got to understand the DESIRE principle. The Bible is very clear on your motives. Very clear. There is no uncertainty on this. That's why we have to learn how to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with other people. Let me give you some verses. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 in the New Living Translation says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Wow, I mean, this is the word of God speaking right into our hearts saying that we are wicked people that even in our motives is tainted with sin. Here's another verse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 in the ESV it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of death. There are so many things in our lives that you could say that is birthed out of your motive for something. And then you can convince yourself that it's something that is good. But in reality, it really is a tainted motive that we have. That's why we have to check our motives. This is the reason why if you have anyone in your life who have ever said that to you, that means that they probably love you and care for you. If, you don't, if there's no one, like your roommates, maybe your, some of your friends, if they have never put a check or a speed bump on your motive of doing something, then they probably don't care where your life will end up. Because our hearts, as the Bible says, are wicked and beyond understanding. That means that it's going to be mixed with sinfulness, even though with good things as well. But because it's so mixed in there, what we need is people to help us to understand our desire and our motive. I think it's interesting that Jeremiah, uh, he mentions there's a difference between deception and dishonesty. This is something that I've been kind of learning and understanding a little bit more. Because a lot of times we like to lump it all together. Oh, that person is dishonest or that person is deceitful. But you have to understand, dishonesty is somebody who willfully tries to do something 
to go out of their way to lie. That's being dishonest. Now, the problem with deceit, listen to me carefully, is that oftentimes deceit is mixed in with some truth. That's why it's so hard to detect when our hearts are deceitful. Think about Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Satan tempted Eve? He used some truth mixed in with some lies. That's why it sounded like the real thing. Do you also remember Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted by Satan after he fasted, as he was fasting? Satan was quoting scripture, but then he was literally twisting things so that what? It sounded sort of like the truth, but it wasn't. That's why deceit is one of those things that are very difficult. That's why Jeremiah says there's deceit in our hearts. You know, who can fully understand it? Therefore, the struggle is real, and we're constantly battling our hearts. Look, look at Romans chapter 7, verse 17 through 25. Listen to what it says, and read the yellow section with me. It says this. This is Apostle Paul sharing about the, the desires and the things that are within him that is battling. There's this war that's going on. He says this, but I need something more, for I, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me, come on, say this, keep sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I, I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, here we go, my decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone, come on, read this, wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it is predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me cover, uh, covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, come on, say this, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm being pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Wow. Once again, as Paul said, there's this war that's going on with our motives and desires, and it's real, especially when it comes to a decision, because there's always pros and cons on both. But he says, who's going to deliver me from this? But he says, praise be to God, because Jesus can and he has. By dying on the cross, we look to him for strength and wisdom. That's why in Psalm 37, verse 4, in the ESV, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many of you know that when I first read that verse as a young Christian, like my first thought was, this is awesome. God's going to give me everything that I ever desire. But what God was showing me as I began to grow in my faith was that as I delighted more in God, my desires will be transformed into more of His desires because I'm learning to love Him more. I want to honor Him more. And because of that, the decisions and the things that I want is completely different now 
from what I wanted before and what I want now. Because that's how you could tell if a heart has been transformed. That's why I look at these other translations. In the Passion Translation, it says this. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Here's another translation, a message translation. It says, keep company with God. Get in on the best. I think that's a better way to look at it. Spend time with God. Hang around with God. Be around God. And then you're going to get on the best. That's the mindset. Is that as we delight in God, be in his presence, become more like him, then our desires will be more of what he desires in us. And I think this is why it's important. That we don't just randomly get to point A and B. I, I need to mention this because I think this is important. Like many of you right now, I think you're very dishonest. And there are times when I'm very dishonest. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Like for us to be where we are right now and to get to point B where God wants us to be, a lot of times in this process, we're not honest with ourselves where we are, what's going on within our hearts. And I think this is why we have to see not only their spiritual battle, but this we have to understand ourselves. I think for many of us who are watching here, when it comes to decision-making and our desires, you and I are excellent. We're, some of us are experts in justifying ourselves and being able to explain why what we do is good. And why it's okay. And what I want to introduce you to is this. There's a difference between a want and a need. Because a need is something that you, like air, food. Uh, those are things that you need. But there are a lot of wants. Upgrade on your phone. You know, those are wants. You, you don't need it. That's a first world problem. So, what happens, and listen to me carefully, is that oftentimes what Satan does and what we convince ourselves is that we make a want into a need. That's why it's easier to justify why you're making this decision because it's a need when really it's not a need. It's just more of a want. And I share this because I think Satan is the greatest salesperson in the world. Those of you who are in business and marketing, you know how they get people. You got to highlight this need. You make it a need, and then they're going to want to buy it. Satan is the greatest salesperson. He has convinced many of you that this desire is a need rather than a want. And until we can be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with others, many of us are not going to make good decisions. Can I give you some questions to ask yourself honestly to help you to then think about how do I make this decision? Here are some questions. First thing is this. Do you really want to please and honor God above yourself and others? you got to ask this hard question. Because some of you, you do not want to honor and please God. At least not enough compared to pleasing your parents. That's more important to you than pleasing God. You're afraid of their wrath. You're afraid of them disowning you. Some of you are more concerned about what other people will think, your friends. 
No wonder some of you make bad decisions. Because your heart is not set on honoring and glorifying God. But it's yourself. It's other people. Another question to think about. Do you really want it? Or do you need it? So that's something that you got to ask. Is it a want or is it a need? Yeah, I, I, I want it, but I don't really need it. That will help you to kind of sift through and make better decisions. Here's another question. Are you okay if you do not or cannot get what you are praying for? Because some of you are praying for a lot of things. Are you okay if you don't get it? Because if you are, then I think your heart is in the good direction. But if some of you will be devastated, some of you will be upset, some of you will get bitter at God, that just shows your desire is self-centered and it's all about you. Here's another question. Have you fully surrendered your need for control into God's hands? Because the reason why we make bad decisions is because we want to be in control. This is the reason why we cannot trust God. This is the reason why we have to manipulate. We have to try to take things into our own control because we want to be the person driving towards our destiny. Instead of letting go and trusting that God will lead you there because you want to honor him. Here's another question, last one. Will you accept whatever answer God gives you even at the cost of your comfort? See, if you're willing to pray and then you say, God, whatever the answer, even if that means I'm going to lose my comfort or the things that I want, if you could genuinely say yes, Lord, then I think you're in the right direction. If not, I'm going to go back to this principle of the desire principle, then there is a war that's waging in that needs to be brought down, that you need to repent and you need to turn to God. The second desire is this. So we got the D. So decision is the desire principle. The E, the second point, is the eternity principle. The eternity principle. I think too often we forget how everything in this world will pass away. I mean, when was the last time you thought about eternity? A lot of times we just think about the here and now and the present. And maybe a lot in the past and mistakes we've made. But rarely do you think about eternity. Rarely do you think about heaven. Rarely do you think about things that we do now will have implications for the future. And that's why it's important we ask the question, how will my decision, how will you make your decision so that it impacts eternity? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. If we ask ourselves this question on a regular basis, I really believe it will transform your life in the way you make decisions. Even though the bigger picture type of questions, this is like a big, like eternity. The question now becomes, well, how do I make those kinds of decisions every single day? Well, here's another question to make those questions every single day. It's simply this, will it honor God and will it glorify him? So those little decisions that you're still kind of at the here and now, ask yourself this question, will it honor God or will it glorify him? That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it says what? To do it all for the glory of God. If you can do it for the glory of God, even in some of the different smaller decisions, I believe that God will be honored as you make that choice. If you have this long-term perspective as well as this daily one, so will my decision, how will it impact eternity? And is what I'm going to do now, is it going to honor and glorify God? As you think about that, can I just introduce you a thought? 
what would you like people to say at your funeral? Some of you heard I used to take some of my youth group kids to the cemetery. I, now I think about it, that must have freaked them out. They were only like 13, 14. But I took them to the cemetery, and I made them walk the cemetery, read the epithet, and just read the headstones. And they were all freaking out. And I did that because I wanted them to understand that you have one life to live. And with your one life, how are you going to live this life so that when everything's all said and done, what is it that you want to hear people saying at your funeral? Oh, here lies a man who lived so comfortably and he lived for himself. Rarely generous and sharing things, but he just lived for himself. It was all about him. You know, one of the saddest thing is, and you, you see this, and I don't know if some of you have experienced it, but there are some people who pass away with only a handful of people at their funeral. And there are others who pass away with hundreds, if not thousands of people at their funeral. Even the funeral that I was able to go to, to our spiritual godmother, if you want to look at it that way, people from Thailand, Hong Kong, people from Africa, Middle East, they flew all over in that, literally in that day to be there. There were close to, I think they estimated close to about 900, almost 1,000 people who showed up for her wake. And just hearing all the different testimonies, and you could just tell that it was a life lived well. Did she have a lot? No. Was she famous to only certain people? But she made such an impact for eternity. And I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at some of you. And I'm wondering what people will say at your funeral. That's why the decisions you make, you have to think about eternity. Will my decision make an impact for eternity? Me deciding to reach out to that person and that person coming to know Jesus Christ. That, that makes an impact on eternity. You taking your resources and wondering where should I invest it in, but then you realize I'm going to invest it in people and you make a difference in someone's life. You help support a missionary. You help support somebody who can't go to college, but you help because God has blessed you. And now they become a famous scientist who discovers the cure for, I don't know, cancer. Like that's, that's eternal impacting kind of stuff. Think about your life. Some of you are so caught up on decisions that really doesn't have a big impact on eternity. You just make it about yourself. If we can think to ourselves, how will this decision impact eternity, I think your perspective will begin to change. As I was thinking about this, I realized that as, I get, as I'm getting older, the desire for comfort and just kind of like less suffering, less struggling, it just starts increasing. And I'm just kind of sharing this with you from someone who's a little bit further than you, but I'm telling you right now, as you get older, your desire for comfort, ease, 
it increases very quickly. But the problem is some of you are already living like that. So it's going to increase even more. So as I was thinking about this, I'm like, man, like, yeah, there have been some big decisions we made, my wife and I and our family. And sometimes, and like, I, I'm just sharing, like, there, there are no regrets of coming to Hong Kong. But there are times when, you know, you're trapped up in like a 800 square feet or 700. I mean, it's, it's relatively big in Hong Kong. And you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, wow. If we stayed in Michigan, we could have probably lived in about a 2,000, maybe even up to 3,000 if God, God provides. Home. Backyard. Can you imagine a 2,000 square feet home? There are times when my neck hurts because the kitchen is so small, you know, depending on my weight. But, you know, when it's so small, you're trying to do the dishes, your body has to twist. But in the States, they have these islands. They call it islands where you could just be free and roam in the kitchen. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that would have been nice. But as soon as I start getting into that and Satan's kind of whispering stuff to my ear, you know what I think about? I think about all that God did the last five and a half years. Not to say that if we didn't obey God, that God couldn't raise up a church to reach out to some of you. But as I think about 2015, and as God spoke to us in a couple years before, and then we came and we started this church, some of you have been a, a, the direct recipients of God's means of His grace. We're bringing you to Christ, bringing you into a deeper relationship with Him, when you could have been totally, you know, you know how I know this? Because look at some of your friends who went off to college and they didn't have a church. But they were like part of your youth group and they were excited and they were growing. But look at them now. They don't even go to church. They don't care about God. Why you? And that's why you have to realize it's like, wow, like, Thank you, God. I didn't deserve this. But you allow me now to experience what you are giving me. And for me, as Pastor says, I'm thinking about, God, you could have sent anybody, but you sent us so that we could be eyewitnesses of all these things. Our decisions impact people, and it impacts eternity. So that's what you have to think about as a principle does your decision, whatever you decide, will it impact eternity? And if it will, then I'm telling you, as you try to glorify God, honor Him in all that you do, that decision is going to have some powerful consequences for the glory of God. The third thing quickly here is this. Not only the desire principle, the eternity principle, but the conscience principle. It's interesting in the passage in Romans chapter 14 that Apostle Paul it's addressing this issue of eating food that's sacrificed to idols. And there were some young Christians who kind of looked at the situation as like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why? Because many of them did eat sacrifice, they did eat food that was sacrificed to idols. So some of these Jewish people are like, well, that's still pagan. We shouldn't do this. But Paul, who's being a Jew, he said, you know what? God makes all things clean. Even though it was sacrificed to idols, God could allowing us to eat this, but this is what he said in that passage. 
He said, but if it bothers your conscience and if it stumbles a weaker brother, then you should not eat it. I'm not going to have time to read this. Uh, you could just post it up if you want. And as I'm talking, you could read through it, peruse through it really quickly. But one of the things that he talks about is that for every believer, they have this thing called a sensitive conscience. So if your conscience, that, that thing that kind of speaks to you like something is not right, if that thing is speaking to you and you're fully convinced that what you are doing or what you are thinking is not the heart of God, then what you have to come to the conclusion is you got to obey God rather than people. Really, it's about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's why I listen to those tensions. When you feel that tension, that's, that could be God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I think the reason why we don't listen to our conscience is because we want to be in control and we want to create our own future. This is why we, it's so easy. Listen to me, this is important. And I see this all the time. It is so easy when your conscience is bothering you and God is trying to speak to you, but you ignore it. And the reason why you ignore it is because you want to be in control of your own future. You don't want God. You don't want anyone else to tell you what to do. And therefore, we tend to dismiss it. So let me give you an example so that you can understand. It's kind of like that older sister in your life, that discipler, that mentor. Like literally she is saying, he's bad news. Like I, I really don't think this relationship or the way you guys are like handling things is going to be really good. So you could apply the desire principle there. You could also desire, you apply the eternity principle there. But the thing about this one, the conscious principle, is that you begin to then, because you want to be in control, you want what you want, you will then be dismissive of that person by saying, you know what? She's never been in a relationship, so how will she know? I wish I could have seen your faces, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, she's 30 and she's still not married. And she's trying to give me relationship advice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or we go into this pity party of like victim mentality and we say, well, well, you're telling me all this stuff, but you don't understand me. No one understands me. So what you're doing is that God is trying to speak to you. You're immature. You're bratty. You're self-centered. God is trying to speak to you. Don't go in that direction. He's bringing people who love you, who can speak into your life. But it's so easy because we want to be in control, to be dismissive of them, whether to play the victim or to kind of excuse whatever they're trying to say because they don't fully understand. And this is where you need the Holy Spirit to convict you. To be able to understand that God, above even people, pastors, whoever it is, it's God who's trying to prick your conscience so that you, it's consistent with Scripture. So that you will learn to let go of the control and say, God, you're the one in control. And if this is consistent with your word, then I want to obey. Let's move on. The fourth one. So once again, the D is the desire principle. The E is the eternity principle. 
The C is the conscience principle. And the fourth one is the information principle. Huh. Is there such thing as an information principle? Oh, yes. See, this is where it's exciting when you know the Bible. There is an information principle. It's simply this. The more information you could find out about a situation, huh, that could be a one thing sometime in the future. The more information you could find out about a situation, the better you'll be able to make a decision. Think about that for a moment. The more you can understand what's going on, the better decisions you will be able to make. I think it's oftentimes the lack of information that causes a lot of problems in life. Have you examined all the factors? This is the reason why I'm going to share a little bit later on this other principle. You shouldn't try to make a decision on your own. That will be suicide. Because there are some people who are smarter than you, wiser than you, who've lived life longer than you, who went through things that you're about to go through. So here you are thinking that I got it all figured out, and then you realize later on that you forgot to bring the parachute as you jumped off the plane. This is why you got to garner and you got to be able to get as much information as you can. Where do I see this? Pastor, show me. Well, if you look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, listen to what it says. Desire without knowledge. There we go. It's not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. Let me give it in the Amplified version to help further explain it. Listen to what it says in the Amplified version. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, without having the information. And he who hurries with his feet, which is acting impulsively and proceeding without caution or analyzing the consequences, sin is right there. It misses the mark. That's why it's important that we always remember, this is important, that when you ask people and ask good questions, it will always help you to make good decisions. So with that, let me take a little pause. You're like, oh, this is just only D, C. Don't worry, because I know it might seem long, but I want to take a little break here to have you share with me. And this is something I am pretty passionate about, if, if you can tell. Because I've seen so many people derail their destiny because of poor decisions. And it breaks my heart as a pastor. And I get angry at Satan. I get angry sometimes when I think about just the things that God was doing and then we just caved in rather than really saying, God, help me. I need your help. That's why it drives me to my knees more. It makes me want to pray more because we are in a spiritual battle. So I, I, I just pray that I don't know if you feel comfortable with the other two that you're with, but really to be able to process it really well, you got to be able to be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with one another. So here, here, here are a couple questions to think about. Out of these first four principles, which ones do you struggle with the most when it comes to making God-honoring decisions? The second question is this. Has there been a time where you feel like God spoke to you about something, but it was very hard to obey? I pray that you'll be encouraged. Share with one another. And we'll give you six minutes once again, so maybe two minutes per person. Just go ahead and jump right into it. All right, welcome back. And we covered the DC now we're going to go into the shun, right? Decisions. 
And there are some of those who are doing the camera here. They do not believe I'm going to be able to go through this quickly. So whenever I'm challenged, then I enjoy it. So this is good. But let me just quickly, as uh, if you remember the at least the first four or five that we went over, the desire principle. We also talked about the eternity principle. The third is the conscience principle. And the fourth was the information principle. Let me cover the other four quickly here. The first, the next I is the intercession principle. Or excuse me, the information, wait, hold on, scriptural principle. I got it all mixed up there. The scriptural principle. Pretty much, I'm going to summarize it in this way. Your decisions have to be in line with the Bible. That if it is contrary to Scripture, then you're making a bad choice and you're making a choice that is not in line with God's will. There's a verse in Romans 12 that many of you are familiar with that talks about not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And then you're going to be able to discern what the will of God is. So you have to be renewed in your mind, and it's through the Word of God, through Scripture, which is a very important point. The way you think has to be different. That's why the Bible has to influence in how you make your decisions. Can I just encourage you? If some of you are not doing your soap, I would highly recommend don't jump into any conclusions or any decisions. How in the world are you going to know if that decision is based on yourself or if it contradicts even what the Scripture says? That's why we're trying to encourage all of you to read your Bible. That's how you renew your mind and understand. So it cannot contradict Scripture. Even in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about that how we used to live our lives before. But now because of who Jesus Christ is, we're able to now know how to live because our mind is being renewed. We used to follow the ways of this world, but now we follow the ways of Jesus Christ. Let me go to the sixth one, which is the intercession principle. It's praying and asking God to speak to you about some of these decisions that it will be God honoring. I think many of us just go ahead and make a decision on our own wisdom, in our own experiences. And I'm just wondering how many of you have ever consulted God in some of these decisions? Now, this is important because a lot of us, we know we ought to pray, but how have you really prayed? This is one of the reasons why I've been trying to build this culture in our church. When someone shares something, when someone writes something in your WhatsApp group, oh yeah, can you pray for me? And then some people are like, oh, I'll pray for you. Like how many of you really pray for them? See, that's how you are with, oh, I'm going to pray for these decisions, but you don't pray. That's why I said, instead of saying, I'm going to pray for you, write out, even if it's a two-sentence prayer, write out a prayer because then you're actually praying for them right there. You're making a habit. And so that when you have to pray for a decision, you'll be praying and you're committing to that. And also inviting other people to pray with you. That helps you into intercession. And as you begin to pray, what happens is that you get more conviction. And God guides you. He leads you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And you understand, we shared this many times. Prayer is not so much for God, but prayer is for us. It changes us. I love what Soren Kierkegaard said. He says, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of one who prays. 
So prayer is a means to change your heart so that your heart will be in line with God's heart. So you can say yes to some of those things naturally you will say no to. So if you're not praying, no wonder you're not doing the will of God. Because you're going to be driven by your own selfish desires, what you want at this moment. But when you begin to pray, God changes you and you realize this is the bad timing. Lord, help me to overcome. This is not the wisest choice. Lord, help me to have perseverance. I trust you. I believe you know what you're doing because you're good, you're present, and you're sovereign. Convictions come when we begin to intercede. Another quote that I liked that I thought was very poignant, and I, you might have to read it two times to really understand what Tim Keller is saying. Listen to what he writes. God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Huh. You might have to read that again. Like every single time you pray, if it's in the will of God and he believes that it's best for you, you will have it. And when you don't have it, that means at that moment when you don't have it, he knows what's best for you and it's not good for you, so he's not giving. That's why trust is important and trust builds through intercession. The seventh one. So when, let's go through the whole thing again. The D is what? The desire principle. The E is the eternity principle. The C is the conscience principle. The I is the information principle. The S is the scripture principle. And the I is the intercession principle. And the last two, the O is the openness principle. Learning how to be open and get people around you who love you and who cares for you to get involved in this decision making. It is literally being open to godly counsel. Some of you are closed. And this is going to be your downfall. Some of you are like, well, I don't have anyone older. Well, that's the thing. Because you have never sought after. They're not going to chase after you. If there's somebody you respect, somebody that you say, well, I look at their life and it seems like they're kind of living for Jesus, then make an appointment. Reach out to them. Because listen to what, I'm, I'm just going to let the Bible speak. So after this, I'm going to shut my mouth and go to the next principle. So here we go. Proverbs 11:14. I'm just going to read it. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Next, Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Another proverb. Fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. And lastly, Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without consultation, Plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Amen. The eighth and last one. Here we go. So once again, the D is what? The desire principle. The E is the eternity principle. The C is the conscience principle. The I is the information principle. The S is the scripture principle. The other I is the intercession principle. The O is the openness principle, and the last one is the navigation principle. One of the things that you will be able to do as you make these decisions is you're going to have to learn how to navigate through not only the pre-decision, but in the midst of the decision and even after the decision. It really is this process of constantly trusting and depending on the Lord. 
Proverbs 16, verse 3 says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So even as you get an answer, you got to still continue to commit those things to God. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it says, many are the plans in the mind of a man or a woman, but it is the purpose of the Lord that stands. So there are times when you might think that this is God's will, but he sometimes leads you in different direction. And this is where you have to grow in your relationship with God. This is why we got to navigate even in the midst of the decision, navigating it wisely, getting more information, listening to the voice of God, continuing to intercede. That's why when you begin to pray, one of the things you pray for is wisdom. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And as you begin to navigate, don't forget God is working. Can I get a good amen to that? That God is working. And he's working in you. He's working in situations around you. And that's why part of navigation is learning how to look to him and go through and traverse through life believing that he is good, that he is present, and that he's sovereign. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 in the New Living Translation says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I like the message translation of this. It says this, that, that energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself, willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure now as we went over these and can we review one more time we have the d which is what the desire principle next is the eternity principle the c is the conscious principle the i is the information principle the s is the scriptural principle the i is the intercession principle the o is the openness principle and the n is the navigation principle now, in the midst of all this, it might seem really easy to make a decision. But there are times when there will be things that will come at you that you have to learn how to process. So can I give you some things to remember? First of all is this. Don't make any major decisions when you are not doing well spiritually. That's why it always boggles my mind that some of you that has to look for a job or something, big decision, then you start doing your soap. That's why when I see someone who doesn't do their soap for a long time and then there's some soap coming in, there's probably something going on. But why, why does it always have to be that? Is God some kind of genie that he gives things to you because you work so hard for it? Grow in your relationship with Christ. Make it a priority. So that you don't know when you're going to have to make a decision. But that you have the foundation that's rooted as you read the word, pray, spend time with them, reflect, all these things. So that when a decision is given and you have to make it, you'll be ahead of the curve. So do not, this is just a word of advice. It will be very foolish of you to make a major decision in your life if you know deep inside you are not doing well spiritually. So get your stuff in order and say, God, I want to hunger and thirst and grow and uh, follow after you. The second thing I want you to remember is this. There will be testing after you make a decision. I don't know how many stories I could share, maybe triple digits, doing ministry for all these years, of people who decide to stay 
and then the job that they were looking for in their home country or somewhere else, after they made the decision, say, it opens up. Oh, I'm going to navigate this. Maybe God is calling me back. Then what that means is that you're circumstantial. Oh, there's a protest and I, I won't come back. Your whole life is based on circumstances. You have no conviction. Because when you have a conviction, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what the cost, you can stand firm. So I'm just wondering if some of us have failed to realize that our convictions do get tested. Our decisions get tested. But stand firm. That's why you got to spend the time praying and discerning ahead of time so that when that testing comes, you'll be able to overcome because you know that this was a conviction from God. Another thing to keep in mind is this. Don't wait too long to make a decision. Some of you who are perfectionistic by nature, you have a hard time with this. Remember that no choice is a choice. So set a timeline, a deadline. Don't let it linger. It's not going to help you. That's where Satan comes in and he's going to speak lies. Set a timeline, and at that time, make that decision. There's nothing wrong with delaying it if you need some more time, but set a time and to make a decision. Another thing is this. You cannot make everyone happy. If someone likes something cold and someone likes something hot, you're going to have to choose one or the other. Sounds like a sermon on Sunday. I'd rather have you be one. You cannot be both, and this is the problem with some of you who are people pleasers. You're trying to please your parents, and you're trying to please God. You're trying to please your life group leader, and you're trying to please your friend. You cannot, because what if, if it matches, it's great. Everyone is happy. But if you haven't lived life long enough, I'm telling you right now, there will come a moment when those people that are significant in your life, that their wishes for you are going to be different. What will you do? This is the reason why you got to get the, you got to hear from God and believe this is what he wants you to do. And that means that somebody is not going to like it. And I know some of you hate not living in harmony. I know some of you hate the fact that someone hates you or doesn't like you. But there was a person long time ago who was hated by a lot. In fact, he actually was crucified. You want to be like Jesus? You better prepare yourself that life is not about making everyone happy. It's about honoring God. And that might mean some of the decisions you make to honor God might tick some people off. But at the end of the day, they're not going to save you. It's Jesus. And last word of advice don't allow your emotions to completely dictate your decisions. Fear, anger. Some of us are so reactionary, and those are the times you make some bad decisions. Lonely. Don't let your emotions dictate your decisions, because usually, and I know from bad experiences in my own life, when I'm making a decision in my emotion, my frustration, it's always a bad decision. So one thing, once again, as I stated early on, is that God-glorifying decision fuels 
our God-honoring decision. Be devoted to God in loving him, honoring him, glorifying him, and then you're going to be able to make decisions that will bring him honor and glory in that way. This is what we're going to do. This coming week, we're going to practice something called the Kara Circle. So I'm just going to state it here so that you at least know it. You need to practice the Kara Circle. Can I just see the diagram so you guys understand? And then we'll go over it in our life group. This is time. You see this line? This is time. It just every, every day, seconds tick off. There's 24 hours in a day. There's about 168 hours in a week, seven days a week. 12 days or 12 months in a year, 365 days in a year, time goes on. And then all of a sudden, as you're living life, something happens. That's the X. Something happens. And then you have to ask yourself, wait, wait, wait a minute, God. What is happening right now? What is going on? Then you go through this learning curve or what we call the Kairos circle. Kairos simply means measuring time in moments. Not chronological. It's moments. And so you have to ask yourself, what is it that God is trying to say to me? What is he speaking to me about? And then you're going to have to repent if it's something that is not in line in his will. And then through that, you got to then have to believe. I believe what you say, God. What is it that you want me to do? So the circle is simply this. There's a moment in time, something that happens, the X. And then you go into this process of repentance and believing, repentance and believing. And the first thing is you got to observe. What is happening? What's going on? Your emotions, your, the situation. You just you got to learn how to be self-aware. We talk a lot about that. Next is you got to reflect. And you got to be able to say, God, what is it that you're trying to... Some of you don't reflect. This is the reason why we make poor decisions. Reflect a little bit more. Write down in your journals. And when you look back, you're like, oh, this is what God has been teaching me. This lines up with the very thing that he's wanting me to do. Because this season is about faith. Now this decision requires faith. So when you're able to observe and then you reflect, then what you do is discuss. Discuss doesn't mean like, hey, guys, what do you think I should do? No, you're sharing what you are feeling from God. And then this is when people might ask you questions. This is where you practice the openness principle. From the discussion, now you're trying to believe because you're going to act upon it. That's why you got to come up with a plan. What are you going to do about it? What did God speak to you? How are you going to make that decision? And then the next after the plan is account. You need accountability. You need someone who could check up on you. Have you done what you said you were going to do? Are you following through on it? And then lastly is the act. You actually do it. And then you move forward and you see God doing something in your life. We're going to practice it this coming week in life group. And I pray that God will speak to you through it. So that's the practical next step. Another one is to uh, participate in sharing your shinemonies. As we talked about, it is a theme of shine and then testimonies. We simply said to look at two things. First of all, the first prompt is stories of God shining on us. In what way has he illuminated his wonderful, marvelous light into your life? Here's some questions to think about. What were the new realization about yourself, your uh, God, and also community that God awakened you to? Another question is, how did God's light shine on those realizations? Another question to think about is, in what ways do you feel prompted to respond to his light? The second major prompt now that I want you to think about is stories of God shining through you, not only upon you and on you, but through you. 
So here's some questions to think about. What are some areas around you, whether it's family, friends, life group, workplace, campus, that experience spiritual awakening? So this is what you observe. This is what you see. Another question is, how, do God, how did God use you or your team to shine his light? And lastly, what are some praises that came out of the experience? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask us right now. Uh, I know you've been sitting there for a while. If you could just stand. If you could just stand with us. And we're going to close out. And so this coming week, um, we're going to have you follow through on the shinemonies. We want everyone to be able to write something. We want you to at least practice the Kaira circle as we kind of tie that in with the whole spiritual awakening. But this is what I'm, I'm asking you to do right now. Can we just have a moment of just kind of uh, just quiet and stillness in our hearts? And just to be able to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, just bow your heads. If you can close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment here. As I started off, some of you are in the midst of making a decision. Some of your decision might come in about a month or so. Are you devoted to Jesus Christ? That everything that you're doing, everything that you see, every decision you're going to make is about honoring Him. If it's not, then what we need to do is repent. Say, God, I see the wickedness in my heart. I see my selfishness. I see this desire that is not consistent and in line with your heart. Maybe some of you, what God has to really touch upon is just your, your unwillingness to be honest. Honest with yourself. Honest with others. Honest with God. It's not like God doesn't know. He knows. He sees everything. Maybe some of you have been so independent, you don't want anyone to speak into your life. Because you want to be the captain of your ship. Or you don't want to hear from someone older that maybe what you're doing is not good. Because already your conscience is bothering you, but you're trying to dismiss it. And you don't want to hear from somebody who might tell you something different from what you really want to hear. I don't know where you are right now, but... I just want to encourage us. If you could just kind of take one of your hands. I don't know which hand you want to take, but just take that hand and just place it over your heart. Wherever you feel like your heart is. And for the next minute, minute and a half, I just want you to pray for that heart. That it will be set on loving God because He first loved us. It will be set on making decisions that will honor Him and glorify Him. This is the reason why some of us, our witnesses are not very strong. Because we're not doing anything that's from another world, heavenly, kingdom-minded. Every decision you make is so just like the world. No wonder no one pays attention. There is nothing different about you. Do something crazy. Do something way different that people will not be able to understand. Then they will ask you, why did you make that decision? What motivated you? Why are you doing that? They're giving you permission to shine that testimony. So for the next minute, I, I just want you to pray for your heart. 
and then we're just going to sing one song together as a prayer and then we'll come back together and I just want to bless you as I know that many of you are making decisions I want to pray that God will give you the wisdom He will give you the revelation He will give you everything that you need so that you will be able to honor Him with your decisions because it's coming out of this devotion to Jesus Christ because He first loved you Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.